Amen. God bless you, saints. You can have your seats just for a moment. If I started to give thanks from everybody that I met along the road in the last few weeks, we had uh, nine different churches I was at, 12 meetings and ministers meeting, and so many people, they wanted me to give thanks to Brother Ed and his burden and the seeds that he sowed all during the South and his many trips there, and also Brother Tim and Brother Murphy. And Brother Murphy, I remember the last time that you and I were in North Carolina. It was a very, very hot day, and we were outside, and we had some missionaries there, and they had a lot of hay on their fork. It was about 95 degrees with about 95 degrees humidity, and when that meeting was finally over, Brother Murphy and I were staying in the same room, and we were not hungry. All of we wanted was back to the hotel and get the air conditioning and crank that thing down as low as it could go, and we didn't eat from the morning until... That night, we just slept and, and just got cooled off. And Brother Joe Green asked me to give greetings to you and to all the saints. And I was out able to see hundreds of people that I haven't seen for quite a while. I was telling Brother Tom just a little while ago that I met several ministers down there that when I met them, they were just young people. They were not ministering at all. And now they're senior pastors and have thriving churches. And it's wonderful to see what God is doing with uh, with our young ministers, and uh, you know, I used to be a young minister about about uh, 36 years ago when I came in the message. I was a young minister, and uh, now I'm so thankful to see what God is raising up in our own church here, Brother Kyle and Brother Brother Mike. We have two Michaels now, and and Timothy, and uh, just just so many wonderful things that are taking place, and and when God puts a burden in a man's heart to preach this word it's not it's not a light thing and you know it's it's not a light thing to be able to stand before the redeemed of god and to feel like you have something that you can share with them that comes from god and something that's going to minister to them and you know there's some people uh, when they stand up sometimes a person can speak 15 minutes and it's too long other people can speak for two hours, and it's not long enough. And uh, most ministers that have stood behind this pulpit, the two-hour rule, I would say, especially this morning. And uh, I, I used to have a, a saying, I used to say that the bride should be naturally spiritual and normally supernatural. And Brother Murphy, he just nailed it this morning when he said that love inside of us, it should be just automatic. It, it should be, should be like a, like a bubbling brook, just, just love, just bubbling out of us because Brother Branham said it's the only thing that's going in a rapture. And the world that we are living in now, I remember a few months ago, Brother Tim said when he scanned the news, he was looking for some kind of sanity, but there is none. And, and there's less now than there was then. And, uh, you know, as bad as it is now, I think that the devil has so many triggers that he has not even begun to fire yet. In a month from now, we're going to look back, wow, I never thought that would happen. And yeah, I hope we're not here for too many months, but it's going to get wilder and wilder. And we need to buckle our seatbelt. And uh, when, when you look at these people, I don't even look at a person anymore. All I think is the demons that are trafficking in their brain that are causing them to think and say and do the things that they're doing. 
And we're the most blessed people on the face of the earth to be able to receive a revelation from a prophet of God that he said, now God being a savior, it was necessary that he predestinate a race of people who would fall in order to give himself a reason and purpose for being. And uh, that, that's, that's a, a, a wonderful, wonderful statement. And I think oftentimes that uh, when, when somebody's coming into the message new, and I'm always, you know, meeting new people and sharing messages with them. And uh, that, that book that Brother Tim Pruitt put out about the original sin, that is a masterpiece. If you ever want to witness to somebody and just be able to share something with them, it's got one, it's got, you know, it's got a, it's got a great introduction, then it's got scriptures and a question and scriptures and a question. And a person is either going to go along with scripture or they've got to deny scripture, one or the other. And, uh, you know, anybody should be able to see that. Once you see it, anybody should be able to see it. And uh, when Brother Brandon went beyond the curtain of time, he said, I could never ever, ever be the same Brother Branham that I was. And I haven't been beyond the curtain of time that way, but I've been beyond the curtain of time in the Bible and in the message. And after going beyond that curtain of time and understanding what God has done in this day and what the plan that he has for his bride now and at the wedding supper and then in the millennium and then down through eternity. Uh, And we're never going to be bored. Throughout, throughout all of eternity, and there's no time frame that we can even put our mind to. But Brother Branham said it's a much faster dimension. And I was thinking about that, you know, in the 1800s, when guys were on their buckboard and had the little horses and going down the road, if you took that person and put him in the early 1900s and put him in a car going down a road at 30 miles an hour, he, he, he would have panicked. Because it, it was such a faster dimension. And think about where we've gone from there. Brother Reza, we've gone from the horse and buggy days to the astronaut days in one generation. And that's nothing compared to what God had. You know, incremental changes in this realm that we think are so dramatic, they're nothing in God's realm. You know, God, he took, he took nature and everything is in nature is in order. Except man. We're the only ones, all the plants and all the, the animals, all the species, everything's in order except man. And only one thing can put us back in order. And that's the word of God. As I was flying home, I, I went, I went back to, to wash my hands and I, I came back. And as I was coming back, I looked and in every seat, there's a big, big plane, but every seat, people were either staring at a cell phone or they were looking at a movie and every one of them, they had these movies you could put them on. And so I'm looking at, and some of them you could tell maybe it was the same movie, but they were all different stages of that movie. And it was like insanity on steroids. And everybody's staring at that. Now, if you would have took just 30 years ago, if you would have took a picture and say, this is what things are going to be like in 30 years, and you'd walk into a restaurant and everybody would be sitting there staring at this little box. Everybody in the restaurant. And I've gone and I, I like to observe people. I, I, I like to be, and God spoke to me a long time ago, be aware of your presence in the present moment. And so I like to watch. And I go into restaurants sometimes and you see uh, husbands and wives and they can sit there. The only time they talk at the, at the restaurant is when they order their food. And after that, it's done. It's, 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 it's like it's silence. And if it's not silence, it's, you know, on, on, on the cell phone. 
And, and that cell phone, I think the last time I spoke to you, said this can either be your electronic highway to hell or the highway to heaven. And if you got the message on that cell phone and the Bible on that cell phone or, or, or you can stream services on that cell phone, you have got the tool that can literally catapult you into heavenly places. But the temptation is so great. And Brother Brandon said, every generation, is, the pressure is ten times greater for the young people. And I, it would have been hard for me if I was a young person in this generation. But I didn't know what you know. Knowing what you know and knowing the enemy and how clever he is, we need to stay as far away from Satan's Eden as we possibly can. Brother Brandon said, we need to know our weak spots and keep them covered. And I'm going to invite you to stand and we'd like to look into the book of Judges. And when I was reading the message, the greatest battle ever fought, because every day, friends, we are in the greatest battle ever fought. Every day when we wake up, the battle rages. And you got a bullseye on your back if you're a believer of this end time message. And as I was reading that message, the greatest battle ever fought, and I, I was reading how Brother Branham said that to, to attack the devil. And not all in one paragraph, but he says several times, and I know I've said this before, he said, cut him, chop him, whack him, slice him, maim him, kill him, kick him out. So this is an offensive battle that we are in. We don't wait for the devil to see what he can do and then, you know, go on the defense. We go on the offense. Right at the beginning. And, and this is a culture that it, it's, it's a culture war that we are fighting. It's a supernatural culture versus a culture of the world. And Brother Tommy nailed it a long time ago. He talked about the adrenaline junkies. And they sit in front of that movie and they are a junkie. They can't, they can't wait. What's, what's going to be next? A drama, a thrill, horror, cowboy, whatever it is. And then there's people that are drama queens. And believe me, there are drama queens aplenty in the world nowadays. There's people are getting service animals and having service animals on campus because they're uncomfortable of a certain speaker who's going to be on this camp. Maybe a campus is 15 miles square, but they're uncomfortable. And they got a little, a little service dog because they're nervous. Could you imagine if this was World War II and we had to send some of the 18, 19 year old men today and they had to go to Germany to fight uh, Hitler or go to, to Japan to fight the, to fight Japan? It would be mission impossible, friends. You would you would not get them on the plane or on the boat to leave here. And so here we are. God has trusted you and me to live in this world. The most wicked and deceptive age of all time, and yet God is going to have a bride in this age. So if we turn to Judges, we'd like to look at chapter 6. And this is the first time that I have ever spoke on on this series. And uh, it was inspired to me by something that Brother Biscoe had said a while ago. But uh, in chapter 6 and verse 1, and let's pray before we read. Father, we thank you for this opportunity to live in a supernatural world, to be able to see and to hear and to know what you are doing in this day, 
to have prophecy becoming history right before our eyes, Lord. We're seeing where all the major players in the world scene, whether they're political or whether they're religious, whatever they are, Father, we see them coming into perfect focus, 2020 focus, and only the bride can see that. Father, we thank you for this service tonight. I pray that you would help us to have your perfect will. Help me, Lord, to to move myself out of the way and to, to speak only what you would have spoken. And may it be a blessing to my brothers and sisters, Father. We ask all these blessings in your holy name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In Judges chapter 6, And the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. I wonder how many times, if we went through the Old Testament, if we could have this very scripture. And Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. After the great deliverance that they had had out of Pharaoh's hand. If you ever want to have just a, about a 15-minute study, go back and read from the time that Moses began to speak to Pharaoh from the time Pharaoh finally let them go. You just read about the dramatic, uh, the, 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 the historic destruction that took place in Egypt during that short period of time. And yet when, when Moses and Elijah of, of Revelation 11, when they're on the scene, they're going to do things that are even far exceed what that Moses and Elijah said. They're going to shut up the heavens of the whole world. And there are going to be plagues on the whole world. The world is going to be screaming, looking for somebody to bring order into this chaos. And you think about what's going on in Venezuela now. Their grid, their power grid has gone down. And they say they're back to medieval ages, like 15, 1600 year ages. They're having to heat everything, having to cook everything, go out and, 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 and tear down trees and burn them. No electricity, no power. And, and power is only a thing. Only last century was power, electricity come into being in the 20th century. And, and so, so now when, when, when they come on the scene and, and when the bride goes up and Satan is cast down, not a happy camper because the bride's already gone. He was not able to stop him. And now he's in the body of a man. And that man has got supernatural wisdom and power to deceive the whole world. And now he goes after the foolish virgins and the 144,000. And at the same time, Moses and Elijah are calling down judgment upon the world. And, and this scripture, and Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. So you can have your seats there. And I want to, to, to just use that as a platform to go into the word. And the Lord delivered them into the hand of Midian seven years. You know, oftentimes we see people who are being delivered into the hands of the enemy, sometimes because God is just uh, lifting his hand to protection because of disobedience or because they, 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 they need to come closer to God. And so uh, we're either, uh, as one brother said, we're either in the midst of a trial or just coming out of a trial or getting ready to go into a trial. And so I'm happy for those times when I'm just coming out of a trial and, and got a little bit of breathing room before the next one come because you know it's coming. And the Bible said, think it not strange concerning this fiery trial, which is to try you. In other words, don't be surprised. It's coming. It, it's right around the corner. 
but we have the ability to take on that whole armor of God and to fight and to win, to be victorious as a soldier in the army of the Most High God. And so they were delivered into the hands of Midian seven years, and the hand of Midian prevailed against Israel, and because of the Midianites, the children of Israel made them dens which are in the mountains and caves and strongholds. Now, I did a lot of research on that. These were desperate times for the children of Israel. They were living in caves and in mountains anywhere they could to stay away from the Midianites. And the Midianites, when they would come in, the Israelites, they would plant and they would harvest Right about harvest time, then the Midianites would come in there and take every single stock, everything they had, not leave anything behind. The Bible said they were like grasshoppers, that they were like locusts, they came in. And the children of Israel were left with nothing in a deep, desperate, desperate condition. And, uh, and so now, As it was, Israel had sown, the Midianites came up, and the Amalekites and the children of the east, even they came up against them. So now, it's like gang warfare. Not only one, but the other ones found out, hey, easy pickings down there. So they went down there, and they cleaned their clock, so to speak. And they encamped against them, and they destroyed the increase of the earth till thou come into Gaza and left no sustenance for Israel, neither sheep, nor ox, nor ass. Nothing. For they came up with their cattle and their tents, and they came as grasshoppers for multitudes, for both they and their camels were without number, and they entered into the land to destroy it. And Israel was greatly impoverished because of the Midianites, and the children of Israel cried unto the Lord. So now God sends his prophet. He sends Samuel. And of course, Samuel comes in there, and he reminds them, as thus saith the Lord, here's all the things that I did for you, and here's all the things that you said you were going to do, but you didn't do them. And so this is the reason why you find yourself in this condition. So, so now the angel of the Lord comes and he, and he, and he speaks unto Gideon. Now Gideon is there and it says he's in his wine press. Now everything I've been able to discover, he's like in a, like a, like an underground place. He's hiding from the Midianites, but he's still trying to grind out a living. He's not a mighty man of valor at this time. He's down in a hole just trying to scratch out a living. And the angel of the Lord, and this is God himself, the angel of the Lord, because it's capital L, and the angel of the Lord begins to remind Gideon of all that he did. But first of all, he calls him a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's probably looking around saying, who are you talking about? Couldn't be me. But God, when he looked at Gideon, he saw his potential. And God knew the end from the beginning. God knew that he was going to become a mighty man of valor, even though Gideon could not see that at the time. And so Gideon is just, he's like Moses. When God first appeared to Moses and told Moses what he was going to do, he was going to be a great deliverer. What did he do? Excuse itis. Well, I can't do that. I can't talk well. And he gave all kind of excuses. And so now Gideon is kind of in the same condition. He, he's telling him, I'm of the least, I'm of the least of my family. And, you know, I'm a nobody. But God begins to speak to him and tells him that, that what he's going to do. So in, uh, 
In verse 12, And the angel of the Lord appeared unto him and said unto him, The Lord is with thee, thou mighty man of valor. And Gideon said unto him, O my Lord, if the Lord be with us, why then is all this befalling us? And where be all the miracles which our father told us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord hath forsaken us and delivered us into the hands of the Midianites. If you want to be inspired, get the message, Brother Branham preach. If God be for us, where are the miracles? And this generation saw more miracles than any generation until back in the times of Jesus. But the people were saying, fast pray, fast pray, fast pray. Where are the miracles? And a whole bunch of impersonators came up. A lot of make-believers came up. But the people were so hungry for something. They were looking for the supernatural, looking for the spiritual. And they bought into anything and everything that was being presented as being from God. So now, Gideon say, if you're for us, if you're with us, how come? How come we're in this condition? Where's all the miracles? And God continues to speak into him. And the Lord looked upon him and said, Go in this thy might, and thou shalt save Israel from the hand of the Midianites. Have not I sent thee? Now, a while ago, I, God spoke to me three words. Holy, happy, humble. And, uh, and I'm always happy, but being holy and being, and being humble while being happy, that's a, it's a real balancing act. So you can imagine here, God himself is coming down and speaking to this humble man, just trying to survive, and God's telling him, you're a mighty man of valor. You're going to deliver Israel. I mean, he's trying to wrap his, his head around this. And, and so now he says, well, how can I know this is true? He says, I, I want a sign. He said, if you wait here, I, I want to go. I want to get a sacrifice. And I want to come and I want, I want to offer sacrifice to you. So the angel says, okay, I'll be right here. So he goes there and he gets everything fixed up and he comes there. And the angel, the Lord just takes his staff and he lays it on it and everything is vaporized. And so, so now he's vindicating to Gideon who he is, that this is God, that God doesn't need food, that God doesn't need anything. He's God. And, and at that time, God does what he often does. He disappears. <laughs> he's just gone. Out of sight. I can't even imagine what that would be like. I was saying, did I have, am I having a dream? Did, did that really happen? And yet, God is gone. So when Gideon perceived that he was an angel of the Lord, Gideon said, Alas, my Lord, for because I have seen an angel of the Lord face to face, and the Lord said unto him, Peace be unto you, fear not, thou shalt not die. That was his comfort, thou shalt not die. So now Gideon, he's, he's getting ready for, for this, this challenge that God has put before him. So now Gideon, he goes and he takes ten men of the servants and did as the Lord had said unto him. Because Gideon's dad, he was an idolater. And he had right in his backyard, he had a temple to Baal. And so the angel of the Lord tells Gideon, first thing is, go there and take that temple of Baal in your father's backyard and rip that thing down and have a sacrifice and build up another altar. So now he's scared. He's going to his own father's backyard. And he's got to tear down this altar that everybody is worshiping at. So he's afraid. So what does he do? He goes at nighttime. 
gets 10 men. They sneak in there, tear the thing down, build up another one. The next morning, all the men come out there. Whoa. Where's, where's our bail altar? Who's responsible? And they find out who's responsible. So then they get Gideon's father. He's an idol worshiper. And they said, your son's got to die for what he did. Now, dad's put on the spot. And dad says, well, you know, uh, if this is a battle, let Baal fight the battle. He's trying to, to, to trying to defend his son. Just kind of, he's trying to play the balancing act. Doesn't want to get in trouble, but he doesn't, he wants to protect his son. So now the, the people of, of Midian, they find out and they start gathering a massive army. The closest I can get is about 135,000 men, soldiers, and they are amassing now and they're going to have war. Now Gideon, he sounds a trumpet and the trumpet calls and all the men that are faithful to Israel, they come and they got about 32,000 that answer the call. And God says, uh, uh, Gideon, you got too many soldiers. Ask anybody that's afraid, tell them to go home. 20,000 turned around and left. Turncoats. Before the battle even started, friends, turned around and, and they were not shy about it. They were not bashful about it. I'm a coward. I've got a big old yellow streak right up and down my back. I don't have a backbone. I got a wishbone and I wish I could get out of here as fast as I can. And they, they left. So now they had 12,000. And God said, Gideon, you still got too many. He said, now I'm going to give you, give them a test. Take them down to the water and have them all go down there and get a drink. He said, I'm going to see how they drink. He said, now those that just take their head and just go right down and just lap up the water. He said, that's one category. But the other ones who, who take the water and cusp it and, and, and they drink from it, that's another category. And a theologian said the reason why they were, they were, they were cusping like that is because they were soldiers and they were looking around. They were not like the ones that just took their head and just dove the head in there and didn't care what was going on around. So God says, okay, those are the ones that I want. 300. That means 11,700 are sent home. They're facing a 135,000 man army and Gideon's got 300 men. God says, now we're ready to go to war. And the reason for this, friends, and it's a lesson for us all, God is not going to share his glory with anybody. He did not want Israel to say, well, our 32,000 man army, we went out there and we fought the battle. And we... No, God was going to get the glory with 300 men against them. And so so now Gideon said, Lord, I, I, I want to just make sure I, I got this right now. He said, I know you already gave me one sign, but could you give me another sign? sign. I'm going to take this fleece. I'm going to put this fleece out here. And, and, and tomorrow morning when I come up, I want the ground around it to be dry, but I want the fleece to be wet. Okay. So next morning he comes out there. Sure enough, he gets the fleece and he rings it out and there's a bucket of water comes out of the fleece, but the ground all around it is dry. And Gideon said, Lord, I hate to ask you, 
don't get mad, Lord, but could you just do it one more time? And this time, let the fleece be dry, but the ground around it, let that be wet. Okay. It's the third time now. The third sign, now he's ready to go. He's ready to go to war. He's finally convinced that God is with him and that God is ready to fight this battle. So now he goes down there and one of the men, he has a dream. And he has a dream of this 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 uh, loaf of bread. And it's coming down and it's rolling down into the middle of the valley and killing all the Midianites. And one of them comes up with the interpretation, that's Gideon. It's the sword of the Lord and Gideon's sword. Now Gideon, he's ready to go. And God instructs him. Okay, give all your 300 men, they all have to have inventory. They have each have a trumpet. And they each have to have a pitcher. And they each have to have a lamp in the pitcher. And now you separate them, three squadrons. Put one here, one here, one here. And when I give the word, when I blow the horn, and I break the pitcher, and I shine the torch, everybody scream out, the sword of the Lord, Gideon's sword. And they did it. And the men, the army around them, they were so panicked, they started killing each other. You ever see sometimes how right in the middle, sometimes the enemy of God and the enemy of God's plan, they come out and and, and they're ready to go to war with God's people and they wind up killing each other? I've seen it happen many times, not too long in the, in the, in the future, in the, in the past I've seen that happen several times. One of the first Pentecostal churches I went in, they had a split. And I, I never, I could not believe the people that I was fellowshipping with one week were the people I was fellowshipping with the next week. It was bizarro. The mind of men, it, it, it's a very fertile bedding ground. And when evil, wicked seeds are planted in that mind, it is amazing what they can say or do. And so now, the, these, these soldiers, they're killing each other. Now Gideon and his men, they go chasing after the remnant. They got a 15,000 army left, because 120,000, they, ki- they were killed. They either killed themselves or the 300 men that went down there, they killed them. So now they come across a couple of places, a couple of cities. And here's Gideon, and he's done incredible yeoman work to deliver these people. And now he says, hey, hey, we're, 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 we're hungry and we're tired. Could you give us some, some, some refreshments? And we're out there, we're chasing after these two kings. And the leaders said, do you have the heads of those two kings? Do you have them in your hands right now? And he says, no. He said, well, why should we feed you? Why, why should we take our resources and feed your men? And Gideon said, all right, that's going to cost you. When I come back, you're in big trouble. And so he heads on. He comes to the next city and he asked the same city, the same thing. They give the same response. He told them the same thing. You are going to regret that one. And on they went and they finally got the men. And when they're coming back. Both of those cities that refused Gideon and his army, they refused them help, and both of them suffered horrible consequences. Gideon killed many of them, but he made a mockery of them. He said, now, he said, you know, uh, you told me that I don't have the king's heads. Well, here they are. They're right here. And, and, And these are the men that got the king's heads. And you're the ones who wouldn't give us any food. So... (laughs) Got to pay the price. 
Like I said, some people sold their wild oats and then pray for a crop failure. Well, these people, they sold their wild oats and they got exactly what they had coming to them. According to God's justice, maybe not according to my justice or your justice, but God's justice sometimes is a lot sterner than our justice because we're humans and we get emotional. I love what Brother Murphy said this morning. He said one time he was his savior and the next time he was his judge. I'm so thankful that God is my savior. And I'm so thankful for a revelation of justification. And I'm so thankful for a faith that can make that revelation true to me today as it was when I first heard it in May of 1983. I heard it, took me a while to internalize it, that it's just as if I never did it in the first place, not in my eyes, not in my mother's or my father's or my brother's or my sister's or all the people I ran around with when I was a crazy rebel. They know what I did, and I did it. But in God's eyes, you never did it. That's the one that we should be concerned about. What is our account where God is concerned? And many people today do not have a revelation that you are free. You can, if you're not free now, you can be before you walk out of the doors here. That's God's plan for you. Not for everybody, friends. It's a special class of people. One that can receive a prophetic insight, can receive, thus saith the Lord, and internalize that into their life. And know that God will cast your sins as far as the east is from the west into the sea of forgetfulness and never remember them anymore. God can't fail. I forget who it was, but I love it. it said, God cannot remember sin that's been confessed and is under the blood. God can't remember that. He can forgive and forget. So now Gideon comes back, and now the people right away, they're ready to make him a king. They want to they elevate him and make him a king. And hey, it's nothing that I did. I, I'd, I'd be a fool to try to take credit and to take, uh, take some kind of, 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 of a responsibility that it was me. This was all God. And so, so, so Gideon is a, is a wonderful example of what God can do, a deliverer through a rebellious people and how he can bring them back. And for, for all those years that Gideon was here, I just want to read a couple more passages. This is in uh, chapter 7. Then Jerubbabel, who was with Gideon, and all the people that were with him, rose up early and pitched beside the wall of Herod, so that the host of the Midianites were on the north side of them by the hill of Morah. And the Lord said unto Gideon, The people that are with thee are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hands, lest Israel vaunt themselves against me, saying, Mine own hands has saved thee. Now, Gideon, he had spoken it here, but now at the other side, he was able to, he talked the talk here, but on the other side, he was able to walk the walk. He said, No, I won't be your king, and my sons won't be your king, but he asked them to set up a righteous government. 
And they did set up a righteous government. And Gideon asked them to give a, a you know, give an offering. And he asked them to give some gold because they all had, they were Ishmaelites. They all had gold earrings. So Gideon asked them to give an offering of their gold earrings. And they were more than happy to do it. Oh, yeah, sure. We'll give it to you. And, and it was like a mountain of gold that came. And Gideon made an ephod. Some call it an ephod, ephod, but it's some kind of, a, of an ornament. Like the, 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 the high priest that had these ephods that they wore. And they were brilliant, expensive, laced and woven with costly apparel and gold. And Gideon made those. Now we don't know if it's some kind of, of, of a, like a, a statue or a monument that he made, or if it was the high priest garments that he made. But the people said that this is wonderful, and the Bible said it became a snare unto Gideon and his family. I know a lot about idols, friends. I was Catholic for a long time. Spent a lot of time in front of the Virgin Mary and the saints and the angels and holy water, and candles, scapulas, limbo. Every time I walked in front of a church, I had to bless myself. Every time I walked into a church, if the light was on, that meant that there was there was deity in this golden chalice. And you got down, and you had to get on your knees, and you had to bless yourself because the light was on. That meant that the priest had done his hocus-pocus and transubstantiation, took the bread and wine, and turned it into actual body and blood, but it was stored in there for the next Mass. I tell people who have never had any uh, association with that, so how can sane people believe that kind of thing? How can sane people believe that you can be a Christian, but you're not able to pray to Jesus? You have to pray to Mary, and Mary will bring your prayers to her son. They say, how can people believe that? I can tell you, that's normal. When you're raised up in that, it's as normal as anybody else that's raised up in any other kind of a major religion or a cult or a clan. Because the mind is so fertile when it's young. And that's all I knew when I was young. So thankful for deliverance. It was gradual deliverance. Had to go from Baptist and then Assembly of God, then the PTL, UPC. Finally, the light. And every time more light, I thank God that he gave me grace to continue going after the light in spite of all the arrows. Every time you arrive somewhere, oh, praise God, God sent you. When more light comes, oh, you're of the devil. You got a bad spirit on you. You're being deceived. Thank God. They say you can always tell the, the pioneers by the arrows in their back. And Brother Branham, he was the ultimate pioneer in our day. He was following the angel of the Lord with thus saith the Lord. And he had to, he, he had to, to say things that would cause people, his friends and people he loved to go away. One service really struck me because I'd been on both ends. Brother Branham said, now he said, I have my Trinity friends here and I have my oneness friends here. And they're both wrong. You can imagine. The Trinity people are not too happy about that. And the UPC people, they were not too happy about that. But Brother Branham, he was telling them the truth. We had a president. His name was Harry Truman. He was the one, he finished the war. He was the one that finally gave the go-ahead to drop the bomb on Japan. He did not know about the atomic bomb when he was the vice president. 
Roosevelt died. Harry Truman comes in right at the end of the war. And they said, Harry, we got news for you. We have a weapon. And we believe that with this weapon that we have discovered and tested, we can stop this war in a week. But it will cause world outrage. There will be devastation and death on a scale unprecedented. But if the war continues, we will continue to lose thousands of our men and the allied soldiers around the world. We will continue thousands of them every week. And if we have to do a land invasion to Japan, they don't know how to surrender. They will fight tooth and nail as they did on Midway and all the other islands. They had to dig them out, had to throw dynamite in the caves to get them out. And when they finally came out, the soldiers were out and the women and the children, they saw that the soldiers were gone. They went to the cliffs and they jumped off the cliffs because they were programmed. The Americans were animals and the allies were animals and they'll eat your babies. That's the kind of propaganda that was being spread. So anyways, back to Harry Truman. They tell him about the bomb. So he says, we can stop the war in a week. Or if we continue it, gosh, only knows how long it will continue and how many American allied casualties and how many Japanese casualties. They make the decision. They drop the bomb. The war ends. So Harry Truman, he got a reputation of being a tough talking guy. And so one time his advisors came and said, Harry. He said, you know, you gotta, you gotta lighten up, you gotta lighten up on your, on, on your rhetoric. These people think you're giving them hell all the time. Harry said, I'm not giving them hell. I'm just telling the truth and they think it's hell. And sometimes when God comes down and God gives us the truth, friends, we think, wow, this is, this is gonna rock my world. I, I gotta make changes. I gotta alter things. Imagine a brand new sister coming into the message and she has, she has to come to grips with hair and makeup and dresses and everything that goes along with living a holiness life. When I came to the UPC church, the preacher told me I need to get a haircut. I had, I had long hair over my collar, kind of halfway down my ear. So I got a haircut. I thought, well, I never had one this short before. And I went to church. He said, nope. Not good enough. So I went back again. I said, well, just a little, little bit more. He did. I went back. Nope. I said, well, you come with me. I'm not going back. You come with me and you tell me when it's short enough. And I felt like I had been butchered. I never had white walls on my ears before. And I felt like I was naked walking around with my the sides of my ears showing. Changes take place when God moves into your life. And in the beginning, it's hard, but when you know it's right, it doesn't matter how difficult it is. I want to be right with God. If I have everything but Christ, I have nothing. If I have nothing but Christ, I have everything. We're either going to obey the word or obey the world. And this world has absolutely zero that I want to kowtow to. And, and, and I'm just so... I'm just so angry that the whole world has got to bow down to some of the kind of spirits. You have to bow down to it. Whether it's politics or business or religion or sport, music, whatever it is, you got to bow down if you say one word wrong. Or if they get you in their crosshairs, they'll go back 30 years, find out what you did in high school. Now, they don't want it for themselves. 
They always say, it depends on whose ox is getting gored. Well, they don't want their ox getting gored, but if they can gore somebody else's ox, they'll do it. Doesn't matter. So this world, it's become an insane asylum, friends. And the ones that are running it, the leaders, they are the inmates of the asylum. The leaders. And it's spinning. It's going downhill very, very quickly. But at the same time, the world is going downhill. The bride's rising higher, 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 higher. I don't want to be an adrenaline junkie. I don't want to be, I don't want to be around drama queens, but I am addicted to the supernatural friends. I am addicted to what's going on in that other realm right here in this building. The angels of God are around here. Now I know right now some of you think, Brother Ernie, you're crazy. You're a nut. I said, I might be a nut, but I'm screwed to the right bolt because I am screwed to thus saith the Lord. That's according to a prophet, according to Malachi 4, Revelation 10, 7, Luke 17, 30. Every message that had to be fulfilled by this prophet, it was fulfilled and it was punctuated. Now it's up to us to either say, oh me or amen, one or the other. I choose to say amen. If God's in it, I'm in it. If God's against it, I'm against it. So now Gideon does a, does a wonderful job. He restores the children of Israel. They're worshiping God. And now he passes off the scene. Everybody was sad. But he had one son. He had 72 sons. One of them was a son born of a concubine. And she went to her mother and her mother gathered all her people. And he said, why do you want to have all those other ones reign over you? Because I'm of your own flesh and blood. And so they all agreed. Yeah, well, he's our own kin. Yeah, well, we'll follow him. So they get up a big offering, great big offering. Abimelech is his name. The one born of a concubine. The first thing he does, friends, and this is where Brother Ed inspired me. He said, do you know there was a, there was a, a judge in the Bible who had 72 sons? And after he passed away, the one son of the concubine, he went out and he got 70 of his brothers all at one time and took every one of them and killed. The same time, took them, lined them up, put them on a rock and killed every one of them. I never saw that before till Brother Bisco told me that. I said, well, how, how did I miss that one? But there's so much. Brothers, he liked to read between the lines. There's a perfect example for myself. And when that opened up to me, a whole bunch of other things opened up. Well, what about the one son, the youngest one? He hid out. His name was Jotham, and he hid out. They didn't find him. So now, now Abimelech comes, and they make him the king. Oh, my, he's big stuff. And while they're making him the king, the one son of Gideon, he's up high on a mountaintop. And he calls down and he gives some illustrations and some poetry. But basically, he says, did you do right by my father? And he laid out everything that Gideon had done for him and laid out everything they had done to his brothers. How he killed 70 of them all at one time on a rock. 
And so he said, now, he said, there's going to be judgment that's going to come. And he laid out the judgment and then he ran. He ran because he was afraid for his life. So now Abimelech, he reigns for three years. And now I'm coming down to a close. Now, he reigns for three years. It's not a very long reign for a king. And then the Bible says that God sent an evil spirit between Abimelech and the children of, of, of the kingdom that he was reigning over. So now the children of this kingdom, they start rising up, and we're going to take Abimelech out. Who's this guy think that he is? And they have another guy comes in there, and, and, and his name is uh, uh, Gaul, G-A-A-L. It's a good name for him. We've got a lot of Gaul. And so he's, he said, hey, if I was, if I was your king, you know what I'd do? I'd take that Abimelech and I'd wipe him off the face of the earth right away. So now they got two sides. These are the same sides. They were, they were together at one time and they killed all Gideon's sons, but now God sends an evil spirit in them and there's a split. And then the ones that split, split. So now Abimelech, he finds out what they're doing. He said, well, I'm going to take care of this. So he gets his army and they, they gather them together and they have a game plan and they're going to wait outside in the field. And so a lot of drama takes place. But the bottom line is that when Abimelech's army comes near, the word comes to Gaul. He said, hey, there's, there's, there's an army out there rising. And, and, and the one that had heard him say about what he was going to do to Abimelech if he was king. He said, no, you're just seeing things. There's nothing out there. Oh, yeah, something is out there. And then he says, you know who's out there? It's that very one that you said if you were the king, you take care of him. Now go take care of him. So he goes out there, tries to take care of him, but he doesn't take care of him. Now remember what Jotham, the youngest son of Gideon, when he stood on that mountain and he called down to Abimelech, the one who was the ringleader, who killed 70 of his brothers. I saw a picture, and the picture was an artist's rendering of 70 bodies in, in, in a great big ditch, all arms and legs. And all. Could you imagine if just if one, if one of your kin was killed that way, what it would do for you. But he had 70 of his brothers killed at one time, on one day. And he was looking right down at the one who did it. And he had just been made the king. And it's his brother. His brother who had killed 70 of his own brothers. And he called on, he says, there's going, there, there's going to be a great price to be paid for what you have done to my brothers. Then he took off. So now the war, the war goes on. And uh, so Abimelech, he's got a plan. Now this is just coming down to a close now. This is in verse 9, in verse 44. And Abimelech and the company that was with him rushed forward and stood in the entering of the gates of the city. And the two other companies ran upon all the people that were in the fields and slew them. And Abimelech fought against the city all that day. And he took the city and slew the people that was therein and beat down the city and sowed it with salt. 
And when all the men of the tower of Shechem heard that they entered into and hold of the house of the God Bereth, and it was told Abimelech that all the men of the tower of Shechem were gathered there, and Abimelech get them up to Mount Zalman, and he and all the people that were with him, and Abimelech took an axe in his hand. Now just imagine, he's got an axe, and he goes there, he, he hacks onto a tree, and he gets a block of wood, and he puts it on his back. He said, everything you've just seen me do, every one of you, cut a piece of wood and get a block. We're going to have a bonfire. We're going to a city, and we're going to burn it to the ground. Verse 49, and all the people likewise cut down every man his bow and followed Abimelech and put them to the hole and set the hole on fire upon them so that all the men think about this. This is an army now. Everybody's got a block on their back riding a horse. I like to visualize things. I like to take, you know, that station of creation in my imagination and just kind of let it stretch sometimes. I like to visualize things. Sometimes I might not get it 100% right, Brother Tim, but it's a lot of fun. <laughs> and what I don't get right, God understands and God knows my motive and my objective is right. So I just picture these guys coming into this, this village now. So they come against Israel or did he ever fight? Oh, I'm sorry. The, the tower of Shechem died also about a thousand men and women. So another slaughter that takes place. Abimelech, this wicked man who killed 70 of Gideon's sons. Now he goes. He's going to burn this place down. Kills a thousand women and children. And then when Abimelech to Bez and encamped against Thebes and took it. But there was a strong tower within the city. And this have fled all the men and women and all they of the city and shut it to them and get them up to the top of the tower. The whole village is burnt down now. Thousands of people are fleeing or dead, one or the other. The only place of refuge is this one place, a high tower. And they're scrambling up the tower. And now they're on top of the roof. Here's Abimelech and his men. Oh, it's not a tough one here. We'll take care of this one pretty quick. And so now they're ready to do it. And while they're ready to do it, there was a woman up there. And she looked down and she saw the ones that had blood in their eyes. They wanted to kill all the ones on the roof. And she just happened to reach over and she took a piece of a millstone and she dropped it and it landed right on Abimelech's head. Split his head wide open. Cracked his skull. That's what the Bible said. Now he's lying there. Now picture this. He's lying there. His head cracked open. He knows he's dying. And he says to a soldier, quick, thrust me through. I don't want it to be said that a woman killed the Bimelech. And so his soldier came and took the sword and thrust him through. And that was the end of Abimelech. And then all the children of Israel, when they saw the battle was over, 
Justice had been done. Vengeance had been executed. And it said, (laughs) they all went home. (laughs) They all went back to living their life. But Jotham, the son, had said, what's going to happen to you? And it happened. What Gideon had said to the ones who had disobeyed his request for some aid of the men who had saved them from a horrible, desperate condition. God always finishes at the end first. I want to be there. I am so thrilled just to be in the race. And this is not a sprint. It's a marathon. And this marathon will go on until either the day that we we go the way of the grave or we go the way of the rapture. But there's no vacation, friends. There's no furlough. There's no R&R like they used to give the military people. It's a battle. It's a war. The war is on. You're in the battle. You've got the armor of God. You're the victor in this battle. Let's stand to our feet, friends. You know, I was reading an article in a paper one time, and it got my attention because it was talking about the people's rights. And Laodicea, Brother Branham said, that's this age, the people's rights. And if you go all the way back to the beginning of the 20th century, you had the women's rights, then you had the workers' rights, then you had the, the, the rights of the people who wanted to be treated equally regardless of their race. And in every other kind of a right, until some of the rights I don't even want to talk about, they, they don't even know who they are, so I don't even know what I should talk about them anyway. They don't know who they are, if they're a he or she or it, but it doesn't matter, but they all want their rights. And if you do not address them properly, in some places, you can go to jail for it. So I'm reading about, about rights and rights and, and rights. We have a right, friends. We have a right to be a son of God, a daughter of God. We have a right to the revelation that God has sent to us in this day. Oh, I'm saying you have a right to it only because you're here and you're hearing that you do have a right to it. But then in our life, first of all, there's got to be priorities. Priorities in our life. Eternal life, that should be our number one priority. And then everything that goes in order with that. After we prioritize things, then the choices that we make and the decisions that we make and then the habits that we form and the character that's developed. And out of that character, that's determined our destiny. We're here on free moral agency. Every one of us has a choice and the devil cannot make me do anything. He can't make you lift your arm. He can't make you, he can't make you do anything. A prophet of God. So we get in trouble when we go out and we get on his territory. So all these people want their rights, their rights, their rights, their rights, their rights. And they they can have them. They, They can have all the rights that they want. My question is, where 
do you intend to spend eternity? And then with that priority, hopefully you want to spend it with the Lord and with his people. So that's your priority. What choices have you made that are putting you in that channel? Or what choices have you made in the past that you need to rethink them and reprioritize? What habits have been formed inside of you? Whether it's anger, we live in a day of rage. Anger is one letter short of danger. A lot of dangerous people out there, friends. And the D in front of the anger is the devil. And the devil anoints anger and it's danger. So people, it's an angry race. Or people have a poor me. Woe is me mentality. Feeling sorry for themselves all the time. Or they're beating themselves up all the time. Can't forgive themselves for their past. Or they're Envious of other people who seem to have more or seem to have it easier in life. Oftentimes, we don't know what they're going through unless we take a walk in their shoes. Last illustration. Many years ago, a company that I, that I worked for, I've done thousands of seminars for them over, over 30 years all around the world, in every continent except for the Antarctic. But this company was bought out by a very wealthy man. His name was Warren Buffett. And at that time, the the stock for that company, it was $6,700 for one share. So the people who worked for the company that I was working for, a lot of them had stock in that company, and they were given the option of rolling over their stock in this company over into Warren Buffett's company, which is Berkshire Hathaway. I, I didn't have any stock, but I, I watched it. I said, hey, I'm not. $6,700 for one share? That's crazy. Uh, cash me out. Well, you can go look now. The, the, the share on, on the New York Stock Exchange is B-E-R-K-H-A. That's for Berkshire Hathaway. One share of stock in that company now will cost you over $300,000 for one share. Now, I will say to you, Mr. Buffett would trade all his billions if he knew what you knew He would trade every one of his billions. He's up in his 80s now. He would give it all if he could be the most humble, the most poor, the the, the meekest, mildest one amongst us if he had a revelation of eternal life, friends. Don't be jealous of other people because it seems like they've got more. If they knew what you had that they don't have and they had a revelation of how poor and blind and miserable and wretched and naked they were, they would trade places with you in a New York second. And that's pretty quick. Let's bow our heads, friends. Father, I thank you that you have opened up these four chapters and judges and just to be able to hit the high points, the highlights, and there's so much more that's in there that could be said. And I just, uh, I just trust that 
that those who have heard it will want to go and just review it and dig into it and make it a part of their spiritual heritage to know how God moves among people who are rebellious and how he sends a prophet and he sends he sends a man a mighty man of valor who had no idea of what he had in him but God saw the potential and the talent that was in him and God was going to bring it to pass and he did bring it to pass and then how Satan tries and Satan comes in and does everything he could to fight against it and to take it out on his own children. But then the one, his own son, who, who executed judgment on his own brothers in the end comes up with a, a humiliating, embarrassing loss of his life at the hand of a woman who just happened to drop a rock off a tower where they had hid in fear of their life. You've told us the end of the book, Lord. The end of the book is we win. The devil and his army, they lose. They have lost every person that has served the devil for 6,000 years. Every one of them has lost If they were king, if they were queen, if they were monarch, potentate, if they were hero, if they were beauty queen, if they were rich, no matter who they were, if they did not serve God, they lost. I wonder right now, and you're here at this late stage of life, it's never been later than it is right now. If you're not worthy, you need to be with God. And you find yourself straddling the fence. Like Gideon's father, who was an idol worshiper. You don't have to have a a monument to Baal to be an idol worshiper, friends. You can worship sports, as I did. I had baseball gods, football gods. I had all kind of sports gods. As a young boy, 12 years old, when the Beatles came on the scene, the Beatles and the Beach Boys and Elvis Presley and every other rock star that came out of England, they were my gods. When I became a teenager, fashion became my god. As crazy as that sounds. Had to have my white jeans. I had to have them ironed with a a crease on them. I told my mother, Mom, they're not tight enough. She said, here's the iron. She pulled me by the ear. So had to get over the fashion gods. And every other kind of a god that you can think of, business gods, popularity gods, all these things, your world is a universe, friend. And that universe is spinning. Every day, the thousands of thoughts that are going through your mind, the habits the character that we have developed over the years. If we're going to really be a rapture-ready servant of the Almighty King, there might have to be some changes. In some cases, radical changes. There may be some compromises that we're making that we have to stop making them. A friend of mine, 
He said, I want to be a truth broker, a reality broker. And God, you are the ultimate truth broker. You're the ultimate reality broker. Supernatural reality has been presented tonight before each of our eyes. How God deals and how God will deal with rebellion. How God will deal with those who have a desire to serve Him faithfully with all their heart. If you're here tonight, you say, tonight is the dividing point of my life. As they say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. Tonight you say, tonight I want to be, I want to go on record in God's eyes that, that it all stops tonight. It all changes tonight. If that would be your desire, and I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to have an altar call, although I would love to, but it's Sunday night and so thankful Brother John lingered on Wednesday night. It was so precious, that atmosphere that was here. An atmosphere where births can take place. Tonight, you say, tonight, tonight. This is, this is reality, friends. This is, this is between heaven and hell. You say, tonight, I'm ready to make that choice tonight. God bless you. God bless you. God bless you, sis. Anybody else? I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna pray and I'm gonna turn it over to Brother Tom and let him take the rest of the service. But many hands have gone up and I'm just gonna pray. Father, you've seen the hands that went up, the hands that were going to go up if we lingered for a little while longer. Lord, we don't want to take a soul and hold it over the charcoals until that soul is barbecued. We want you to do it, Father. We want you to move on that heart, move on that soul. Maybe even not in the service tonight, maybe on the way home, or maybe tonight before they lay their head on the pillow. They say, Lord, is this real? Is this this world that I'm living in? Is is the fantasy world, the natural world, and the real world is the supernatural world? Have I really been invited? Has God looked at me and said, Oh, thou mighty man of valor, that mighty woman of valor. God sees potential in you. Potential for the greatest prize of all, to be a son or daughter of God. Father, words fail us to be able to express how thankful we are. But we want to love you with all of our hearts. In Jesus' name. Can we sing that song, I want to live the way he wants me to live? I just want to sing one verse and I'm finished. I want.